Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Lori Hack. Hey, Lori, how are you? Hi there, pretty good. It's great to have you on the show, Lori. Uh, Lori is the founder and CEO of Mighty Red Barns. Um, They work on a lot of different things. They develop product strategy, governance, and business models really to, to support companies that are making some moves in probably one of the hottest areas, which is companies that are planning to push into social benefits, somehow trying to offer things in the social benefit area. And so we'll, we'll go into more about what Mighty Red Barn is doing in that area. But before we get there, Lori, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Fine. Yeah. So I'm actually a PhD scientist uh, with a background in neuroscience. So I spent about 15 years of my life doing bench research, trying to understand how this thing works um, and moved out of that and started working in uh, research policy um, and then in developing uh, computer systems uh, that uh, enabled uh, policy folks to mine data uh, to inform some of their decisions about how to invest um, in, wow. in new research development. Um, from there, I also um, worked, I did it as part of a large M&A, which was fun, um, and then split off from that and um, have been, or prior to uh, Mighty Red Barn, um, was the CEO of a nonprofit, basically a startup nonprofit that developed a tech platform uh, for global um, distribution of a uh, persistent identifier for researchers. Anyway, so it was a huge global effort that would enable those researchers to bring all of their research works and contributions together. So that's what I So what a great background. I mean, I've been, uh, over the last couple of months, been uh, focused on the topic of data science and insight because my my son is applying to university and so he's he's obsessed with data science and so you'd be happy to hear that it seems to me that uh, about half of the schools you apply to are just launching data science programs so it seems to be a pretty hot space to be in so tell me about how all this work that you've done in the past has led to mighty red barn and and where you guys are we guys are working on today yeah, and I think one of the big things that happens as you go through a career is you learn more about who you are as a person and what makes you happy, what you want to be working on. And I think where I am now is realizing that I like to work with organizations to help them both understand what they want to be offering to the community, but also developing those uh, community ties so that when an organization is developing its product space, um, that it is doing that with the community instead of completely divorced from it. So um, so I am now a consultancy um, and working with organizations that right now have a social benefit, so generally in the nonprofit space, um, and, and understanding for new organizations how they can establish their uh, mission and governance, um, and for existing organizations, understanding how they can pivot into new product spaces, but still honor their mission and governance. 
So it's it's great because I often hear the phrase governance, you know, it's uh, with especially when you kind of think about that, the trinity of kind of uh, sustainability and, and government governance is in there. And so tell me a little bit about how all those things come together, actually. Right, right. And so it's interesting. So one of the platforms I'm working with right now, part of the goal of this platform is to bring together indigenous communities with museums, you know, museums mm. that are holding appropriated artifacts and genetic mm. sequences, et cetera, right, that have been taken. Um, and so how do you create something that can serve these two communities that really haven't been very friendly with each other for good reason? Right. Um, and so part of the governance piece, right, is how can I develop um, clear rules, right, for how this organization makes decisions? Yeah. Right. As well as a governing board um, that is set up in such a way that establishes and balances the trust relationship between the different communities being served by this platform. Right. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I talk about governance. But you also mentioned the word sustainability. Right. So when you're developing platforms like this, this isn't just, a, oh, I'm going to do this this week. What they're trying to do is a long term kind of thing, not just a year, not just two years. This is a generational platform. This is going to take a long time uh, yeah. to get both to get the communities together, but also to the work um, that is needed um, in, in what the platform is trying to do. So Yeah, it's, it's, you hear a lot of these companies that have these kind of ESG goals, the, uh, I guess, environment, sustainability, governance. Mm -hmm. And I've always been curious how all of those fit together, but your explanation is perfect. So in, in reality, the governance will be the set of protocols and, and how the company will work and their yep. beliefs to make sure that they're staying true to perhaps the other areas. Yep. Yep. That's great. Yep. And That's then great. That, that sustainability component is saying, you know, part of the governance is ensuring that, um, for example, if you're working in a nonprofit space, that some corporation isn't going to come in and purchase this. If that is a goal in the establishing trust with the community, that ensuring that the community sectors that are engaged in, that are being engaged by this platform are always a part of how that organization makes its decisions, right? There isn't a client that I work with that is not thinking about trying to strengthen their activities in the sustainability, the socially conscious areas. Mm -hmm. How do you put all of that work into context today? One of the words that comes up a lot is this word authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And there's companies that get into ESG that are doing it sometimes as window dressings. So they're right. marketing scheme. Right. It's more for marketing, like come purchase from me because blah, blah, blah. Right. And so what I really try to do is say, look, let's really sit down and examine why we're doing this. What is the motivation of this company for doing ESG work? Right. Um, as well as, you know, we have to set up a mission statement, which a lot. And if you start, if the company starts rolling their eyes when we start talking about mission statement and values, then I just say, look, I we either have to be serious about this or I can't work with you, right? Yeah. Because the company has to be serious. They have to understand that if you're gonna do ESG work, you have to believe in governance, you have yeah. to believe in sustainability, and you have to believe in working with your community for the benefit, at least partially, the benefit of the community, not just the bottom product profit line. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that it'll be interesting to see how investors as well as you know customers 
start to monitor all of those elements uh, more closely. Uh, it's, it, I know there's been a, a ton of work to measure all of that work, uh, but it, it does still seem like there's quite a bit to do. So let me change gears a little bit, Lori, and talk about the last couple of years. So we've been living through this uh, strange moment um, in time, and certainly that's presented a lot of challenges for people and businesses, but also uh, opportunities. How has the pandemic impacted Mighty Red Barn? Yeah, and so um, I have been, you know, even prior to Mighty Red Barn, um, I had been working as a kind of as in a virtual space, a virtual workspace, global virtual workspace. So I'm used to not having an office. I haven't mm. been in an office since 2012. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and so so to me, not not having an office is not a, a challenge, right? The challenge is. Look, I used to travel a lot and travel to meet people, listening to different um, events, being part of that milieu. That's the part that I miss, right? And I think right. that's where you meet other people and you hear things as you're walking through the hallway that you know can really and just have these happenstance kind of conversations. That's been a bit problematic. However, um, I would say there have been a number of things that have um, changed, right? People's willingness to work on Zoom or similar kinds of video conferencing. Yeah. The use of things like online uh, whiteboards, right, that allow people to communicate in different ways than they could in a meeting space um, when you're all sitting there kind of trapped in your chair. And so I think there have actually been some really wonderful things um, in the meetings area that have happened as a consequence of us not being able to travel. I'm not saying COVID has been wonderful, but I think it's right. forced us to really look into other ways of collaborating and communicating that have actually in some ways become more inclusive. Now you don't have to have totally. the money or the time to be able to travel to a meeting. You can hop on a teleconferencing, video conferencing application and work with other people. So you now see you can see and invite people from regions, uh, companies, uh, people who have kids, uh, people who may not have a huge grant to be able to travel can now participate in meetings that couldn't have before. More inclusivity, more diversity we're starting to see in these meetings, which is fabulous. The yeah. other thing that's really, I think, been really good to see is trying to find ways to encourage participation in meetings. And participation, as you mentioned before, talking about measuring, isn't just measured by seats, you know, butts and seats. Right. <laughs> um, but it's now measured by uh, contributions on a whiteboard or how many people are talking in a meeting, things like that, um, that also become even more important and perhaps make a meeting much more rich than just having people sitting in, in a hall. Um, well, it's, it's a great area. I, I hadn't really thought about the virtual brainstorming and the whiteboarding as a way to kind of measure and engagement or connectivity. That's a wonderful data point. And certainly I, I love the idea that we are, you're talking about it being more inclusive. I mean, I've noticed in general, Zoom is in some ways more inclusive because you know, for us, we're hiring people from all over the world now, whereas perhaps we would have focused on certain city locales in the past. You interview people online, so you don't really you don't really have a sense of kind of how they truly look. So those yeah. superficial inputs that you make of seeing like a you know a tall person or whatever, it's kind of irrelevant. And so I'd say that it's a it's strangely enough kind of um, more of a, a fair playing field and more focused on the content of yeah. what someone says and what they do. 
So I, I, I found that extremely exciting. And I, I've, you know, spoken to my head of HR quite a bit about that, that I don't want to lose that as if we're, you know, if we're pulling out of this, uh, you know, this pandemic, I don't want to rush back into that mentality of, oh, well, we have to meet everybody in person. Yep. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the in-person, the disadvantages of in-person might outweigh the advantages of in-person. It, it, I think that remains to be seen, right? The other thing kind of talking about impacts um, is looking at one of the companies I'm working with. Um, one of their big ways of, uh, of supporting themselves is through these large scientific meetings, mm. right? And if you aren't having people come to those meetings in person anymore, the whole business model for- Falls apart, yeah. And this organization, it doesn't really fall apart, but you realize mm, maybe we're a little bit too reliant on that area of business and we need yeah. to think about diversifying what we do. And so that's been a big chunk of what I've doing over the last year, year and a half is working with them to identify what are some other product areas that they that align with their mission that they could then launch. And so we've developed a whole business case um, and product spaces that they can get into. And we're now in the process of the early stage launch of some of those. It's a really, yeah. really exciting work. Yeah. No, and I, I, I mean, the heartening news, I think for those types of companies is that I do know that people are desperate to see one another. Yes. Uh, I was on a call with a new client of ours and he said, you know, there's a big uh, tech festival at the beginning of January in Las Vegas called CES. Yeah. And for years, uh, people like me have gone there. But the reality is that it kind of started to wear on people. They didn't want to make the journey so early in January. There was always, you know, things to do. And so it almost became one of these events where you went to it begrudgingly, right? Yeah. And it was interesting to hear my friend because he said, man, Ben, I don't know what's happened, but I really wish we could go to CES. I really <laughs> want to see all you guys. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it, I think, I think there's a real need and it's a, it's, it's one of these things that we have to remember. We are human beings at the end of the day. And, yeah. and we, we, there's a huge social component to being a human. So I yeah. have to kind of think about and what that being is. Being able to find ways to, uh, you know, have those in-person meeting spaces, but as you said, don't lose what we've learned during this, you know, period of the last two years about Absolutely. how we also get more out of these kinds of not quite in-person meetings, right? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, so let's let's look at this year. Uh, you know, we've got a big number there, 2022, and it's uh, it's it's a brave new futuristic world that we're creating. Tell me about what you see for this year and uh, what Mighty Red Barn is going to be thinking about. Yeah, so we've got um, the work with FASAB um, launching this big DataWorks initiative, uh, trying to, a big challenge there is engaging a community of researchers that already feels like they have enough on their plate um, and turning data sharing uh, into something that is a desirable instead of a check the box. So there's a huge amount of, you know, how do we develop these programs? How do we engage this community so that we are, that FASIB is putting out uh, programs that are beneficial to the advancement of human health, but also don't weigh on researchers. Um, unduly right so there's that work that we're doing there's work i'm doing with local content 
on the governance piece. That's going to take uh, most of the year. And I've actually got a couple book projects in the work. One of the things as we were talking about is how do we create inclusive environments for having these conversations and collaborations. And I've got this little bug in my ear right now about um, kind of the power structures and conversations, right? You talk about these really, really big meetings where you have lots and lots of people there, but in many cases you end up sitting in a chair listening to somebody and it ends up being kind of passive listening. And I'm yeah. trying to, in the book, um, I'm looking at, or in the research area is I'm looking at, is it possible to actually listen and participate in what I'm calling a multi-threaded conversation. So there's more than one person talking at a time, um, which some people might think about as interrupting, but is that actually something that humans can process? And is that a desired state? And would that be a way to uh, change the power structures in the ways that we share information, the audio or audio or even visual information right now? We're getting used to these Zoom windows where we see up to 40 however many people at a time. Um, is it possible to actually process sound uh, from those people or language? Doesn't have to be sound, it could also be sign from these people um, in, you know, with more than one person talking at a time. So that's wow. what I'm really, really interested in looking at. That's fascinating <laughs> because I'm thinking, I mean, the visual cues that we take from one another when we're meeting in face to face are quite important for how you essentially set the tone or the tenor of, of a message or how you're how you're speaking. Well, it's a really good input. I do know that in many respects, the tech, the, the limitations of technology have changed a little bit of how I talk. You know, I probably would have been a bit more of one of those people who mangles conversations, sometimes talks over, maybe talks under people or gets talked over. And what I find on in Zoom is that you really can't do that, right? It, because of the, you can't, it's very hard to have multiple voices. So I think that's an amazing one. If you're able to figure that out, wow, that's yeah. oh, how tremendous knowledge. Yeah, and you start thinking about like what's going on in Zoom with the chat on the side yeah. now, there already are multiple inputs during a conversation, paying attention to the chat while you're talking, you've got people's faces, you've also got the slides or whatever you're sharing. When we have a uh, one of those online whiteboards up, it's really amazing all the people throwing their ideas on the board at the same time. So I think it's possible. I think we could train ourselves to do this, but I have to do the research and learn more about it. What uh, technologies do you use for the whiteboarding? Um, I use curious. Miro. Miro is my favorite one right now. It has, um, it's working on accessibility issues. That's one of the biggest challenges. It does not have the greatest um, support for folks who are visually impaired. Um, okay. so that's where we're kind of really trying to push them to do a little bit more in that space. The other thing that's on the, that I've been doing also is acting as a mentor for small businesses. So this is a really great stretch experience. It's a program called SCORE with the Small Business Association. Yeah. You know, and this is just, all kinds of people that are starting all kinds of businesses from you know hair salons to you know cheese making to cba products and they're looking to figure out how do i create a business you know everything from business plans to finance to marketing and it's really um a wonderful experience i get to meet some wonderful people but it also yeah. makes me think, you know, like, oh, I have to think about distribution and inventory, which I, I haven't had to think about before, right? I love to hear that you're doing that, Lori. When I was uh, 15 years old, uh, my best friend and I 
got the grand idea that we were going to start our own advertising agency. And uh, of course, uh, the first thing we did, which uh, seemed like the logical thing to us was, well, we're a business now, so we should spend all the money we have on business cards because that was the most important spend in our in our 15 year old brains. So we needed business cards. But um, one of our friend's fathers put us on to the SBA, actually, uh, kind of, I don't know if it was SCORE or if it was the program, you know, that led into SCORE. And we ended up meeting with a, a handful of individuals who were former business owners. And yeah. we told them what we wanted to do. And they were like, well, have you done this? Have you done that? You, you know, what's your forecast? What's your business plan? And yeah. we were like, yeah, uh, what's a business plan? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was an incredible experience. And probably one of the most valuable mentorships I've ever had. In yeah, no, it's just amazing. Yeah. And one of those has actually spun off into me serving on a nonprofit board for one of these and helping them with their board governance structure, um, which has been really, really fulfilling. So yeah, lots, That's great. lots well, of stuff going on. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. It's been great to talk with you. Um, if someone wanted to reach you, where, where can they find you? The best way to reach me is to go to uh, mightyredbarn.com and there is a context page on the back of that and you can just click on that and send me a note. Um, I also have a LinkedIn page. There's a Mighty Red Barn page on LinkedIn and there's also a contact button on there as well. Great. Well, it's been great talking with you. We've been speaking with Lori Hack. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of Mighty Red Barn, which is a consultancy that works to really help companies uh, make the most of their social benefit and lead that to some form of a mission success. Lori, thanks so much for being on Uncaged today, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Dan. Cheers.